0: coming today on negotiate your best life with rebecca zung.
1: I think the first thing that that people need to do is to seek out a trusted attorney. That's that's the first thing. I mean you should, you know, consult several attorneys, speak to other people who have gone through divorces, see who they recommend. Look online and see what kind of reviews an attorney has. Look at their LinkedIn, see what articles they've published, what's their point of view, all of those types of things. And then you need to understand that the law, particularly, I don't know about every state, but I do know it was certainly in New York, the non-moneyed spouse does have the protections.
0: Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung, and I get to talk to a fellow attorney today. That doesn't happen very often, and she is so accomplished. I'm so excited because we've just been chatting before we got even started this morning, and we're just exploding, exploding, exploding with so many fun ideas that are going to help you guys so much. This is going to be so powerful. So powerful. So, Lisa Ziderman is the managing partner at Miller Ziderman, a matrimonial law firm, and she is amazingly accomplished. She's a a matrimonial attorney. She's a certified divorce financial analyst. She regularly handles complex financial and custody divorce matters for high net worth divorce individuals. She has been named to Crane's New York divorce list of notable women attorneys for 2022, a Hudson Valley Best Lawyer, for 2022, and um, she is a best lawyer in client client satisfaction by the American Law Institute. And she has all sorts of designations for helping children. She has a massive law firm in New York helping um, in all sorts of financial matters. She is absolutely The go-to in Manhattan for exactly what we're going to be talking about today, which is financial abuse, narcissists, and money, which is what you guys need to know about. So I'm really, really excited to talk to you today, Lisa. So welcome.
1: So excited to be here. Thanks so much, Rebecca, for having me. I can't wait to dive into our discussion.
0: Yeah, thank you. So let's first talk about how narcissists get started with this taking control of of a victim or a target in the first place. How does it happen? How do they start
1: the pattern of control? You know, I think a lot has to do with narcissists are very often charming and they light up that room. It's all about them when they walk into the room. And everything around them is attracted to them for a period of time, right? Until you start to be gaslit essentially by the narcissist, that is the attraction of the narcissist. And when people come to me and they're married to a narcissist, not only are they thinking about how did it happen to them, but they're worried, frankly, that it's going to happen to me as their attorney. How will I be trapped into their narcissistic web essentially. And will I be able to climb out of that? And will I be able to protect and advocate for them because they have had that experience of of being in that trap essentially. So I think that that's the main issue.
0: Yeah, I that's so true. I you know, I've heard that so many times as an attorney too, like, oh, they're going to work their wiles on you, they're going to charm you. I've heard that too. But I, you know, I think a lot of times how it starts too is you know i'll take care of you you know i you don't need to keep that job you know, go ahead and quit your job i'll take care of you or something something like that will
1: will start to happen right It's that isolation that you're talking about. Yes, absolutely, because they are the magnet and they are the one and they are going to essentially be the one who's going to be able to care for you, take care of you, be the one to protect you. And all of a sudden, they are essentially the only person that you have now in your life because you have become so isolated from everyone else. And that becomes one of the problems. Mm Hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I've seen it happen in that way. So, you know, I'll take care of you, quit your job. And, and so therefore, you know, now you've, you know, cut off all of these other ways of having money. I mean, and I've seen it where a person had permanent alimony from a, a a previous marriage and so now they've gotten rid of that source and now they are you know completely financially dependent on this other person and you know now they uh, uh, are getting divorced from this person and they're out of luck or, they have given up a really, really good job or a a great career. And it's now 10, 15, 20 years later, and they're much, much older, and they really can't go back to that particular job anymore, right? Right. That's another, another way of happening. Another thing that I have seen is that... They will say something like, you pay all the expenses for the house, house. or something, something like that. And um, I'll put the money in savings or something. I'll save my money. And you use all your money for um, the expenses or something to that effect, Right.
1: Yes, we we see that so much. I mean, look, I think that that's a very strong form of financial abuse that we see all the time. Um, I think that there are so many people who come to us who have been financially abused and who are dependent on this person, not necessarily because they're not earning, because sometimes they may be the earners, actually. And they are literally handing over their paycheck or giving over their savings to this other person, right? This spouse who says, I'm going to control the finances. I Don't worry, you know, I'm going to take care of that. And I'm now going to be essentially doling out an allowance to you. And it's not unusual for us to see the actual breadwinner in that situation. And, you know, yes, we definitely see the situation where people come to us and they've been out of the workforce for 10, 15, 20 years sometimes, right? And they've given up their capacity essentially to earn. And that is is extremely problematic because recovering those years is almost an impossibility. It's almost an impossibility. You cannot do it. You are not going to have that incline. Right. Of, of being able to move up the ladder in the same way that had you stayed in the workforce, you would be able to. But I think what is even more disturbing is when the person who is earning the money is now in uh, essentially a, a lack of control of that money because they have literally handed over the paycheck and they are literally paying all the expenses and getting that allowance of, of what someone else thinks that they should get yeah and and
0: and they don't know what has happened with their money and and so and and what's happened is that that person has put all of their money into you know either savings or something and and but they don't know where it went they don't know where it went
1: And it may not be titled in their name, right? So, one of the things that often happens and we see is that one party has complete and total control. They have control of the passwords. They have control of the account. They literally have cut off all of your sources of income. And although you either earned it or you you certainly were part of it in terms of supporting the the marriage and supporting the person who's going out and earning it, you now have no resources to actually be able to get out of the situation. And there may be a lot of resources available, but you don't have them available to you. And that's the problem. Hmm. Yeah. Now, when
0: it comes time to get a divorce, people will threaten. People will say things like, you know, you, you can't ever divorce me because if you do, I'll make sure you never get a dime. I'll make sure you're out on the street. Uh, you know, you're never going to get anything from me. What and 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 so people are paralyzed, they're they're paranoid that they're never going to get anything, and and so they end up staying in abusive situations because of that. So, uh, and and you know, I know for me, a lot of times as an attorney, I'll say, you know, hey, listen, you know, there are laws around that, especially if you're the non moneyed spouse. You know, you can many times if you go to a lawyer, there are protections from the in the law, you know, where you can potentially get, you know, either fees, you can get support, you can get temporary support. But a lot of times people don't know that. Um, And so what would you say to people around that?
1: So, I, look, I think the first thing that, that people need to do is to seek out a trusted attorney. That's that's the first thing. I mean, you should you know, consult several attorneys, speak to other people who have gone through divorces, see who they recommend, look online and see what kind of reviews an attorney has, look at their LinkedIn, see what articles they've published, what's their point of view, all of those types of things. And then you need to understand that the law, particularly— I don't know about every state, but I do know it was certainly in New, York, in New York, the non-moneyed spouse does have the protections that you're talking about, Rebecca. The non-moneyed spouse is going to likely be entitled to what is called pendente lite relief, right? And pendente lite relief, in essence, is temporary relief, temporary support to make sure that you can pay your reasonable expenses, temporary legal fees so that your attorney can get paid and so that you are essentially on that equal playing field. But you also need to start to pull some documents right? So you need to, if you can, make sure that you can get hold of your tax returns, make sure that you have bank statements, credit card statements. You know, years ago I had a client and I often talk about her because she was really quite intelligent. And what she did was she would essentially go through the garbage, believe it or not. And she would pull all these little bits and pieces of paper. And pretty soon she had what was the beginning of the puzzle, right? And we, we, did all of this discovery in her case. But most of the discovery came from her. So she would find this piece of paper that referred to some account that was offshore. And then we would do the digging. And I remember having her husband in a deposition and he had revealed zero. I mean, and I mean zero, his net worth statement, which is something that people fill out at the very beginning of a case in order to, for example, get pendente lite support, but also to create this roadmap, his net worth statement was void of any information. And I remember during the deposition saying to him, how did you expect that I was going to find all of the assets that I have found? And he said, I thought you would just keep doing what you're doing. You would keep subpoenaing and you would keep digging and you would keep looking and then you'll find it. And that was that became the job. But she herself was very resourceful. Really? And it's important that as you know, as a spouse, that you look, that you keep your eyes open, that you watch what's happening around you. Because you can't live essentially in a shell, right? With everything closed up. You need to keep your 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 eyes open.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And the other thing is that you do need to have some stash of cash because you're going to need to be able to hire that lawyer. And it does take time to get that hearing, to get
1: to that first hearing. A 100%. Yeah, that that is absolutely true. So look, some people have um, situations where they're able to turn to family or friends for that first retainer. And that first retainer is essentially it's that door opening right? so that you can start to pay an attorney to make the motions or the applications to the court in order to get you that temporary support, those temporary legal fees to get you set up essentially for the um, process that is going to occur, right, where there'll be discovery, where there will be negotiations and where there may be things like depositions or other court appearances, et cetera. But you're right you need to have that door be open. And so you either need to put aside cash and and open a bank account so that you can over time essentially save up for your retainer, or at least be honest with friends or family and say, look, I'm going to need some help here. I might need to take a loan. I might need to sign a promissory note to you so that I can get myself on my feet again and maybe help my children as well. Because it may be that your spouse is not you know, giving you sufficient funds to pay not only for your support, but also for your children's support.
0: Right, exactly. So, Then let's talk about some of the other ways that narcissists will abuse you financially. Um, You know, cutting off credit cards, moving assets, you know, preventing career advancement. Let's talk about some of those other things that they'll do.
1: So certainly, um, cutting off credit cards is is one vehicle, right, to keep somebody essentially under your thumb, right? All of a sudden, you don't have the credit cards that will help you pay for the most basic necessities in your life, food, clothing, um, child care, all of those kinds of things, right? And your credit limit used to be limitless um, when the narcissist was feeling magnanimous. And now you have essentially, the narcissist has decided that you're not on the narcissist's side. Anymore, and so the credit cards get cut, your limits go low, if any, um, and all you know. You're standing at the grocery, and you can't pay for the groceries, or you have now found yourself so isolated, um, and you don't have those passwords to even understand what the finances are because the passwords have all been changed. Um, the mail is no longer coming to your home; it may be going to the narcissist's office instead, or you know, obviously with online now you don't have any of that access and so it is it is really a strategy to keep you under that person's thumb and to keep you dependent on that person mm-hmm. yeah moving assets is another one moving assets is a very it is is very um Difficult because once the assets start to move, it makes it much more difficult to trace the assets. Um, and so maybe things were in joint names, and all of a sudden, there's no more money in that bank account or maybe you had a brokerage account and the brokerage account has now been moved or the the assets have been now been moved into a different brokerage account maybe it was in joint names and now it's only in his or her name alone and so you no longer have access to the funds and the security that you had access to before which makes you even more dependent and look i think at that point it's time to kind of it's a wake up call i think maybe the wake up call could have happened earlier but certainly that is the wake up call when assets start moving when someone is even moving assets to other family members or to friends and you don't have control of that perhaps things are being moved into trusts and all of a sudden you know the the somebody is saying to you just sign here it's okay you know or taking you to an attorney of their choice to just sign here those are warning calls that you need to be aware of
0: yeah. And then they play games like they'll start paying the bills from, you know, your account first, right? So yes. deplete that
1: account first. Yes, that that is um, another strategy is, again, taking away your control, right? Your safety line. So if they're paying all of the bills from your account, your account eventually is going to be depleted while their accounts are building right? And all of a sudden, you don't have enough money to actually go to the attorney. You don't have enough money to go to your therapist to have that conversation about what is happening in your life. You don't have the money to to do to move around in the world. I think what people really need to understand, and, and money sometimes is a dirty word. People don't like to talk about financial finances, but to work in the world, to move around in this world, you need money. That's just a fact. And if someone is taking your control of your your finances away from you, that is a wake-up call that you need to do something.
0: Did you know that Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take 20,000 breaths a day? But according to the EPA, it's two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. I know for us and our family, our family has struggled with allergies to dust mites and mold and all sorts of things. And that's why we have loved using an air purifier. And Air Doctor has been amazing for us. And it has captured the attention of media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and more. And it filters out 99.9% of dangerous contaminants such as allergens and pollen and pet dander and all sorts of bacteria, and viruses so that your lungs don't have to. And it's super quiet and much more quiet than other ordinary air purifiers. Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. So head to airdoctorpro.com and use your promo code, yourbestlife. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code, Your
1: Best Life.
0: Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zahn.
1: So, the accountant should be providing you a copy. The accountant should be answering your questions. And you should not be, you know, being put in a situation where you're told, sign here, okay, and you're not able to
0: review it. Are you struggling with a narcissist in your life, whether it's a family member, a friend? a business partner, a soon to be ex, whoever it is, are you ready to shift that power dynamic, but you're just feeling like you cannot win? Like everybody is believing their lies and you're just feeling like there's just no way that you can shift that power dynamic. I've got a brand new masterclass for you. I'm sharing all my secrets and so that you can finally take back your power and break free from this hell emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I've never done this free masterclass before. Go to break free from hell and sign up. Come be with me and get my secrets so that you can finally take back your power and break free. Break free from hell and let's do this.
1: Take a listen to our archive, where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life.
0: Thoughts are just thoughts. Those are just beams of energy that are firing off in your brain. That's all they are. And you can rewire them to be whatever you want them to be and create whatever you want. And now we
1: return to today's show.
0: And then they'll they'll start to play games during the case, right? So what they'll do is they will uh, play games with the discovery.
1: So you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So, um, so let's talk about what discovery is, first of all, because I think that a lot of our clients, I know when we start um, actually dealing with discovery, they want to know what it is. So what we do usually at the very beginning of a case is we serve, meaning send, discovery notices to your spouse's attorney. And those have a list of documents that we're going to be looking at. Usually it goes five years back. Sometimes it could go longer, but we're looking at credit card statements to see how the spending actually has occurred. Is there spending on other people who um, maybe are outside the marriage, for example, paramours of some sort? Um, Is there gambling um, that we need to be aware of? Are there transfers of monies to other accounts? There's lots of ways to look at at these documents, but essentially credit card statements, bank statements, brokerage statements, um, statements regarding restricted stock units, um, bonus and award statements. We want to see it all so that we understand what are The assets, what are the liabilities, and what's the income? And then, of course, what is the lifestyle? Because the lifestyle analysis is going to tell us how much spousal support um, there will be or how much spousal support will be paid, right? So we're looking for all of that. So we serve these notices, and then the other side doesn't comply, which is what you're talking about, Rebecca. So maybe they give us. whole pile of documents, but they're not really relevant. And then they tell us, we've given you 5,000 documents, we've given you 50,000 documents. Okay, but it's the quality, not the quantity of the documents, right, that we're looking at. And of course, then there's the person who doesn't give you any documents. And now you are left with lots of discovery notices out there and perhaps letters to counsel, et cetera, and your bills are escalating. At some point, your attorney should be subpoenaing everything that they can subpoena directly from the institutions, right? So we serve the discovery notice, If we don't get the the discovery, we start subpoenaing. We have to be careful about subpoenaing employers because sometimes that can actually backfire. So we are careful about that. But sometimes we're left with no choice. We have to get the information. Um, So we will subpoena the institutions. One good place to start is the tax returns because there's usually a schedule in the tax returns that will set forth the dividends and the interest from interest or or dividend-bearing accounts. And those are great places to start to subpoena. yes,
0: yeah, yeah. so she just said so much gold right there. I just want to like make sure that we don't um gloss over what she just said because there was so much gold in what she just said that, uh, and I just want to make sure that you guys just heard everything that she just said, um, because as lawyers, I, I I know everything that she just said, but I want to make sure that you guys got to hear everything that she just said. Um, so, as so, in a case. There are five major areas. I always say five major areas. Some people say four, but I'm going to say five. So there's um, property division, and then there's spousal support, and then there's uh, custody, child support, and fees. So those are like the five major umbrellas. And when you are looking at the five major umbrellas, and every single case has those five potential areas. And then there's tangential areas like domestic violence and things like that. But the the five major areas are those. And in every single case, you have those potential. And if you don't have kids, obviously, custody and child support aren't going to be there. But you have those five major areas. So when you have some major uh potential issues such as waste or, um you know, business valuations or um something like that, then you might have to hire a forensic accountant. And that forensic accountant might need to look at a lifestyle analysis, you know, in order to say, how are we going to come up with what the true income is or what, what we need to look at as far as how to come up with you know, an alimony award or a spousal support award. And so you hire this forensic to help you do that. And what they have to do is they have to actually go back and track every single dollar that was ever spent or ever looked at. And what they do is look at the last five years. It's, it's kind of painful actually i mean for them and it, you know they literally go how much did you spend on this you know shoe purchase or this grocery store purchase or this literally every single dollar and they they put it together into what we call a lifestyle analysis so that's what she's talking about with that and um and tracking every single dollar and, um, and so that's what a lifestyle analysis is. Like how much did you spend on your pets? How much did you spend on your nails? How much did you spend on it? Literally, that's what a lifestyle analysis is. And it's kind of painful, but that's what it is. Um, it, it kind of feels like a rectal exam, I think, um, honestly. But um, because you never think that that's what's going to end up happening when when you're actually doing it until you go through a divorce. And then that's what it ends up being. Um, but, um, but you need to know what somebody's true income is in order to c- come up with you know, because it's important for alimony, it's important for child support, it's important for a fees claim. So, you know, true income is really, really important for all three of those. So that's um, what she's talking about for that. Now, when, when you're talking about subpoenas, so when you actually are trying to get documents from somebody, they can either hand them over voluntarily but when you're talking about a narcissist, they usually don't. They usually don't. And so what happens is you say, hand over 12 months of bank statements or whatever it is, or five years of bank statements. But what happens is they'll hand over everything but December or something like that. And then you're going over there going, well, where the hell is December? Or they'll hand over everything except for page five. Or something like that. And you're, just, where's page five? And, you know, and it's just, it's so annoying as hell. And, and it, every, all of that costs money because your paralegal is like looking through it and they go, oh, everything but page five is in here. And so you have to go, here's a motion to compel. I need page five. And it gets extremely expensive and time consuming because you're not allowed to just file the motion to compel, you have to prove that you tried to do it, you know, uh, you know, uh, yourselves first, or well, at least in most jurisdictions you do. Right. And so, Good faith, sure. Right. Right. Good faith. Try to do it yourself. And then that costs money first. And then you have to, you know, then you can file your motion to compel. So all that costs money. So what she's saying is, Instead of doing that, just go straight to, you know, Bank of America and file the, the subpoena because at least then, you know, the Bank of America isn't going to piss around. They'll just give you the whole entire statement. That's what she's saying. So um, it, 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 it's it, it's a little bit more money because Bank of America is gonna charge you for the copies, but at least you know you're gonna get the entire statement.
1: So that's what she's saying. Um, That's 100% correct, exactly correct. And look, I think that the point of sending the subpoenas in my mind is that sometimes, and I've watched this, right? Lawyer is, is sending the letter and another letter and another letter and I'm thinking to myself, why would we be begging for these statements? They're going to come in this beautiful package from Bank of America, for example. They're going to be certified. They can go straight into evidence. They're true and accurate copies, they're business records. And I don't have to now spend all this time begging for my discovery.
0: Right. And and, and as long as you can get them, I mean, sometimes it's harder because it's an out-of-state subpoena or something like that. It depends on where they're from, right? So sometimes you can't now, and what she's saying as far as going to the employer, it can be difficult because if they're self-employed or if it if the if the employer is, you know, the the their friend or something because it's it's a small company, well then he ain't gonna bother because you know it's not gonna be Um, probably accurate anyway, you know, but if it's a public company or a big company or something like that, maybe it's worth it to subpoena the records from, from the employer. You know, so you have to weigh that out.
1: Yeah, I think that the the biggest issue about subpoenaing the records, and you're correct, obviously, if it's a friend, it makes it much more difficult. And I, I have seen more and more that people can often defer their income, particularly when the business is small. They have you know all these deals, different deals going as they're going through the divorce because their buddy went through the divorce too, right? Okay. And so now they're deferring their income and you're really not getting a true picture of the income. But even when, and you have to be careful about this, in particular, in some counties in New York, they are very strict about it. There are employers who are, are going to get upset about being subpoenaed. And so you really need to have a very good reason the person has not complied. I usually like to get court permission to do it because then it, it actually informs the court as to what's going on. Somebody has another opportunity to produce the documentation, but at some point, you need the documentation. And most employers will understand. Most large corporations and institutions are going to understand because a lot of people go through a divorce. And so they're used to getting these subpoenas.
0: Yes, and but um, absolutely. Uh, but with out-of-state, you have to go to the court, out-of-state, and you have to, you know, it, there's a little bit more of a um some steps that you have to go through yes to um to get that so it's just a little bit more expensive it's a little bit more time consuming um sometimes you have to hire a lawyer out of state in order to help you a process server out of state it's just a little bit more difficult to do that sometimes it's worth it though i mean but you know you you just always have to know and 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 um weigh the return on your investment don't don't you know throw good money
1: after bad right and that's exactly right, Rebecca, a hundred percent.
0: So um, so let's talk about, you know, um other things that people should be doing in order to protect themselves? Um, You know, what other kinds of documentation that they should be looking at? um, Emails, texts, you know, that sort of thing. What What else can they do?
1: So, look, first and foremost, I think that people need to make sure when they're signing those tax returns that they actually know what they're signing. Because, you know, we we touched or you did, you touched on this idea of business valuations, for example. And I think that it's very important that people understand that they actually need to make sure that their tax returns are accurate before they sign them or before they actually allow the accountant to be filing them. And then they should be keeping copies of them. And they need to also remember that the accountant works if you're filing joint tax returns for both of you. So the accountant should be providing you a copy. The accountant should be answering your questions. And you should not be, you know, being put in a situation where you're told, sign here, okay, and you're not able to review it, or sign here and you were given one minute to get them to the post office or to get tell the accountant to, to e-file them. So it's it's very important that you review those tax returns because they are an admission essentially, of what the income is. And if you're being misleading, maybe it's not you who's being misleading, but when you file those joint tax returns with your spouse, you are agreeing to the government that this is your income. And so it's very important that I, I think, first and foremost, that you, you deal with that particular issue. The, the other um, issue is making sure that you keep records, keep records of bank statements, keep records of the credit card statements, you know, start to gather essentially your file so that your attorney is not having to hunt down every single thing that, that is going on. Those bits and pieces that that woman gave me, they made her case. They really did. They they were millions of dollars and they came sometimes on little tiny pieces of paper like this big. Okay. But you know, shredded, okay. But five million dollars later. OK, she had found that money, essentially. I mean, look, we did subpoena it. We did find it. But essentially, she gave us the breadcrumbs to be able to do that. So start gathering your statements. Start gathering the the credit card statements. Keep your eyes open. I think that these are all important things to be doing.
0: Yes. Your attorney is not a mind reader and you're, there's not some you know, a a, a thing out in the sky where your attorney can go to and, you know, find all the information, you know, you have to provide it to your attorney. So, you know, the more information that you can bring to your attorney, the better it's going to be.
1: I'm going to add something, Rebecca, because it, it, it comes up a lot, believe it or not. So very often people decide that they're going to fill out these applications for mortgages or for loans, and they're going to have to state what their income is or whether they've been given gifts or whether they've been given loans, and they misstate that information, right? And that often comes back to bite them, right? So for example, a parent um, may give you know the couple or a party a loan and now they've stated that they have no loans on their application for their mortgage they they it was a loan but they decided to make it into something other than a loan because they wanted to look more favorable to the mortgage mortgage company. And so it's very important that you remember that your words and the things that you sign, the documents that you sign, the documents that you're swearing to, the documents that you're submitting to banks, particularly federally um, charged banks, that those are your words and they are your admissions. And so you need to accurately report things because I will tell you during a divorce, it will all come back to bite you. One other thing that I think is so important is that people, if they're getting an inheritance or if they actually are getting a gift from a parent or other family member, that they make sure that that is well documented and that they keep those money separate and apart. So a lot of people come to us and they have lost what we call separate property in New York. They would have had, for example, they came into the marriage and they had no prenup, perhaps, and they have not actually kept their premarital property separate, or they have not kept their inheritance separate. And all of a sudden, they have commingled all of these funds. Perhaps they've spent down their inheritance. Perhaps they've spent down their premarital property while they've been saving marital property. All things that you shouldn't necessarily be doing. Because if you actually save and keep that separate property separate, you will get a credit at the end if you can trace it. In New York, it is the person who um, has the separate property claim. It's their burden to trace that separate property in order to get credit for it. But many times people come to us and they have millions of dollars of separate property that they cannot trace. And so it may just be gone. Really important Mm, Very good
0: advice. Yes, very good advice. And gather those important documents and put them in a safe place. You know, make copies of them and put them in a safe place.
1: Yes, yes. Keep them. You know, I think one of my first cases ever was a matrimonial case where the woman had a fabulous prenup. But when she actually, she was hospitalized and when she came back from the hospital, prenup was completely gone. Mm. She never saw the prenup again. And the prenup would have been very favorable to her. The attorney was long gone who had drafted the prenup. And nobody was going to be talking about that prenup except for her at that point. And it was gone. So you need to make sure that you keep your documents safe. Make sure that a family member has a copy. Make sure that they are in a place that is not going to just be in your email and your emails become, you know, are erased or somebody's gone into your emails and deleted them. Make sure to keep your passwords safe. All of those kinds of things you really need to pay attention to. Yes, very, very good
0: advice. Where
1: can people learn more about you? So I have a blog. It's LisaZeiderman.com. People can go on. Um, My LinkedIn also under my name. Um, There's lots of articles that I publish. I have a Psychology Today blog. I also um, write for Forbes Council, and um, I regularly write for the New York Law Journal. So um, lots of articles on my LinkedIn are always posted, as well as my LisaZeiderman.com site. And if they want to email me, it is LZ at mzw dash law.com.
0: All right. I know that everybody found this so, 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 so helpful. I mean, really, this was very, very valuable. So thank you so much. So much, Lisa. Thank you. This was really, really great.
1: Thank you so much, Rebecca. It was a great conversation. So thank you.